Hello and welcome to the RI Science Podcast. This is sadly the last episode of our mini-series, where we interview PhD students to find out more about what they research and how they got there. I'm Charlotte Collingwood, and when I'm not working on my own PhD in computational neuroscience, I'm an intern with the digital team at the RI. I've managed to convince five of my friends to join me in the studio to tell me more about what they do as PhD students. Please do leave this episode a rating and a review to let us know what you think and help more people discover the podcast. In today's episode, we're discussing computer science. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Karen Mucky. I'm doing a PhD in computer science at the University of Oxford. Uh, my work is very much focused on renewable energy. Interesting. We'll definitely get onto that. Uh, but first, how would you define computer science as a PhD subject? Mm, that's an interesting question for me, especially because I, I did my undergraduate degree in physics. Okay. So I've come in from a different discipline. I wouldn't say I have like a formal training in computer science. But on the other hand, uh, it's nice because lots of other people who I'm doing PhDs with haven't done their undergraduate degree in computer science. Would you say that's a pretty common path then? Yes, definitely. For very uh, sort of maths related subjects, so I did my undergraduate degree in physics. I know lots of people who have done undergraduates in maths and engineering and other other sciencey subjects. Nice. And what specific subject do you study as part of your PhD? So I'm looking at integrating more renewable energy sources onto the grid and optimizing power flows on the grid in the presence of lots of renewable energy sources like wind and solar, which are intermittent. Very cool. So is that for the UK grid specifically, or are you looking more at how renewable energies can be integrated more generally into power systems? More generally into power systems. I There are a lot of case studies that I look at that are just in the UK and uh, some with the US grid. Um, and how do you even like do that with computer science? What are you doing yeah, with well, the project? So actually in, in power systems, um, there's a lot of computational techniques. Basically, balancing the grid is one massive optimization problem. You're trying to balance the supply and demand in real time for everybody who is connected to the grid at the same time, which is a hell of an optimization problem. Yeah. So what do, when you say balancing the grid, what do you mean? Mm. With the grid, you need to have supply, so everything that's being generated, and demand, everything that's being consumed, uh, be the same at all points in time. So your your generation it comes from your power stations or your uh, wind farms or your solar farms, right? Uh, and then your gener- uh, your demand comes from you and me turning on and off the light or putting the kettle on after EastEnders. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, is that a true fact? That That, that is very much there's a true a power fact. Surge. Uh, for people who don't know, there's a power surge in the UK about 3pm, 4pm. As soon as <laughs> EastEnders has an ad or something, there's a big power surge yes. across the grid as we all turn our kettles on to go make a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And well, so it's most noticeable when there's really large... Uh, TV events like say halftime at the World Cup mm-hmm. semi-finals or I've heard that National Grid even monitor the plot during um, common TV shows to see if it, if, the, if it's an extra uh, harrowing episode oh. then they'll <laughs> then they'll more people will turn the kettle on and uh... I d- in my head I didn't go to harrowing I went to really boring <laughs> I was like if the plot's just not interesting enough you can go make a cup of tea no 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 you want a cup of tea if it's been uh... <laughs> if you need the comfort yeah. <laughs> and so do you map EastEnders with your project uh, sadly not <laughs> Um, I don't know how I would do that, but (laughs) yeah. 
So what part of, if this balancing problem, to bring it back to your actual PhD, if the balancing problem is this like nationwide, almost global issue of always matching supply and demand, how does one PhD fit into the wider system? Mm. Do you have like a specific problem you're looking at? Do you? Yeah, so I've got a very specific problem uh, to look at, which is looking at the charging schedules of electric vehicles. So in the next decade or so, there's going to be mass adoption of electric vehicles. It's it's already started and it's just going to grow and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means that the demand in energy is going to change a lot uh, because we've got this, instead of getting our energy for, for transportation, for using our cars from fossil fuels, we're now going to get it from uh, electricity. Um, and that means we've got to figure out when all of these cars should charge. And if we can uh, sort of extract some utility out of that to help balance the grid. So on the flip side of this, you have um, a lot of wind and solar coming onto the grid as we try and decommission all of our gas and coal power stations. Um, and with that comes a lot of intermittency because the wind is not always blowing and the sun is not always shining. Mm-hmm. So... My project is looking at seeing if we can match the generation in wind and solar to uh, the demand coming from electric vehicles charging. Okay, so I guess my questions from this are kind of twofold. I'll do them one by one. Uh, First off, is there any way to guarantee that the electrical cars will be coming from these renewable sources or will the electricity originally be generated by fossil fuels? And then we have the alternate problem of trying to increase the renewable energy in the grid overall. So there is quite an easy way of uh, guaranteeing that it all comes from renewable energy sources and that's to have a 100% renewable grid. The ideal. The ideal. Dream. That's what we want. Yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime, we can't guarantee that the grid is going to be 100% renewable. However, we can shift the demand in... Uh, energy uh, to charge electric vehicles so that it matches the generation profiles of wind and solar so that we can try and maximize as much renewable energy that we're, that we're using. Okay, so that kind of does link into my second question then. I wanted to ask, in this matching process, would that be requiring people with electrical vehicles to only charge at certain times of the day? Or is there any way that you can store up that renewable, like renewably produced energy mm-hmm. in order to be used for this system or to like wait until that demand arrives? Yeah. So when you go to 100% renewable, you've got to figure out a way of storing energy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's actually quite challenging. Like how we've done it in the past is by using these massive reservoirs uh, and attaching hydroelectric uh, generators to them. Mm-hmm. And in terms of surplus energy, we'll pump up a load of water up the hill. Uh, and when we need the energy more <clears throat> after EastEnders, then we'll, <laughs> then we'll let it flow back down and uh, produce more energy. Right. Um, so a component of it will come from more storage, but a huge component of this flexibility can come from uh, end case owners shifting at, about their demand. So, so when you say end case owners, you mean? Yeah, electric vehicle owners charging their vehicles at specific times. And that essentially has the same effect as a lot of energy storage if you're moving your demand around a lot. Incidentally, one when when you talk about this, people are like, "Oh God, does that mean that I need to like plug in and pl- take my electric vehicle out off and on and on a lot?" Hopefully not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what I'm looking into: developing some some algorithms that you'll just come home in the evening 
or, or whenever you arrive back home, plug in your vehicle and then the, the computer on your electric vehicle will decide when to charge and when not to charge. So normally I'd want to ask about like the wider impact this work will have, but I think that's quite obvious in your case. So instead I'm going to kind of flip it on its head. How do you go from the impact you want your work to have to creating a question that you can solve within a PhD? Mm, that's that's a really good question and that that's actually taken up a lot of my time in 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 the first year of my my PhD it's I, I think it's actually quite a hard skill and quite a hard problem to to go from these high level questions like how do you balance the grid how do you shift about these uh, the charging profiles of, of these electric vehicles and and go and formalize it into the mathematics it's it it's definitely a, a, a good skill to have. So what you're doing is you're taking the problem and then with a lot of work trying to come up with some maths that describe the problem or do you come up with the question and then come up with the maths to solve it? Yeah, so you you come up with the problem and then you see how you can model it and break it down and really formalise it into the mathematics that you can actually reason over a lot easier. So once you've formalised all of this maths and you've created the question that you want to solve, how are you going about it day to day in a computer science PhD? What does that look like? So, yeah, one of the big components of my project has been trying to quantify how a population of electric vehicles can charge. So there's inherently an amount of flexibility in how a single electric vehicle can charge. And then trying to aggregate all of those individual flexibilities into a big population. Um, there's a lot of geometry involved. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of maths that I hadn't heard about before and I hadn't done during my undergrad and, and masters. Um, but it's it's been very interesting to learn and really sort of fulfilling to see how this like this maths can actually be used to to tackle these these big problems. Yeah, definitely. That sounds like a really interesting problem. What are you expecting the outcome to be? Like how will you know that you've solved this problem? Mm, yeah. Well, so there's there's I guess there's kind of different parts to the solving. So what I've been working on at the moment has been a pretty simplistic model. And I, I would call it solved at the moment. Um, well done. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, but then those simplistic models are, are not as realistic as you want them to be. And there's more details that you can attach to them. So now it's a case of attaching more details and making the model a bit more closer to reality so that you can translate the results better into, into the real world. And how would that translation happen? How would that translation happen? In theory, energy suppliers would maybe use what I'm doing to optimize the charging of electric vehicles mm -hmm. of their customers. Okay, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And it must be really nice to be able to work on something where you can see a direct line to an impact that it would have. Yeah, yeah. And there's plenty of other people working on this mm -hmm. and... And maybe what I do will not be the last step in, in all of this, but it's, it's part of it. And it's, it's part of research to explore all of these avenues. And speaking of research, because I'm very aware that we're running out of time, sadly. I could ask you questions all day. Um, you mentioned that you got into this field through, from starting in physics. Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, did you always know that a PhD in computer science was something you wanted to do? No, no, never actually. I think the the key thing driving me through this was that when I was younger, and I feel that this is the same of, of lots of people in my generation, we got we got told, you know, the 
climate problem is a bit of a big deal. <laughs> just a bit. Just, just a, a bit, bit of a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not freaking out a lot about this. Um, yeah, so when I was younger, I, I, I realized this is kind of what I wanted to spend my life looking at. Uh, and I didn't really care what through what angle I do it. Um, originally, I wanted to, to do a PhD in nuclear fusion. Um, I've since realized that it's probably going to be more impactful changing our energy system with renewable technology that already exists. Um, and then I, I, I wasn't sure if I should stay in industry or, or, or do a PhD. Um, but then I, I, I think I came to the conclusion that it could be more impactful doing work in academia and then translating it into into industry yeah because obviously i know from mm -hmm. our many years of friendship that you did mm -hmm. take a few years out after your yeah um, yeah masters, I, right? yeah I, I took two years out I, I worked for two years after my master's in the energy sector which is where they converted me from being all all gung-ho about nuclear fusion to uh uh really thinking that renewable energy was was the solution so would you have any advice for anyone considering doing a PhD? Uh, I think the main thing is to pick a topic that you are super passionate about and that you care a lot about. It, it can be anything, mm -hmm. really. That, that's the main thing. And obviously, different people will have different things that they're passionate about. Um, apart from that, picking a, a supervisor who you think would, you'd get along with is, is important. And then really consider if this is what you want to do, because it is... It is a marathon. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's not like a, a short undertaking. That's why having the passion is so important because it is the passion that keeps you keeps you going, keeps you up at three in the morning. Although I do that very rarely. <laughs> <laughs> He's lying. I've seen him. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. And apart from that, yeah, just trying to have fun. It's it's meant to be a very fulfilling, and I have felt quite fulfilled during this uh, this process. Oh, I'm happy to hear it. Yeah. And then, as always, my last question for the podcast. What is your favorite fact that you've learned as part of your PhD? Mm, my favorite fact. I think that the most interesting thing I've, I've come across is that if you turned off all of the power stations mm -hmm. in the UK and all of the vehicles on the roads are electric vehicles, then you could power the grid just using the energy stored in, in the batteries of the electric vehicles for at least a day. Wait, that's so interesting. So how are you using electric vehicles to power a grid? Yeah, well, so as uh, as somebody who works in, in the power system, I, I just see electric vehicles as, as batteries on wheels. <laughs> of course. <laughs> what else would they be? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so if you aggregate all of the energy in those individual batteries, you get, you get a huge battery. But surely those batteries would have to be plugged in and then giving into the system. Yeah, yeah. So that that is one caveat to this, that you need everybody to, to have a place to plug in and discharge this energy into the grid. So you're telling me if we were in an apocalypse right now and the energy grid went down, yeah. we'd have to rely on everyone with an electric car yes. being so good as to give up their car yes. <laughs> and plug it into the electric grid. Yeah, you can't run away from anything. You can't drive <laughs> away from anything. You just got to plug in. But we'll have our kettle for EastEnders. But then you'll, you, you'll have a kettle, so <laughs> which <laughs> is very necessary in an apocalypse. Hey, we're British. We need that kettle. <laughs> that cup of tea. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much for coming in. It's been great having you. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's been great talking to you, Charlotte. That's it for this episode. Thanks again to Karen Wookie for coming in to talk to me. Please leave us a rating and a review to let us know what you thought and help more people discover the podcast. 
And if you want more science content, head to rigb.org for talks, live streams, blogs, and even more.